are now in Genesis chapter 36. There we go, chapter 36. So, Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? These are the generations of Esau, that is, Edom. Esau took his wives from the Canaanites, Ida, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and Olabama, the daughter of Anna, the daughter of Zibion the Hivite, and Basemith, Ishmael's daughter, the sister of Naabeth. And Ida bore to Esau Elphaz, Basemith bore Raul, and Olabama bore Jeush, Jalam, and Korah. These are the sons of Esau who were born to him in the land of Canaan. Then Esau took his wives, his sons, his daughters, and all the members of his household, his livestock, all his beasts, and all his property that he had acquired in the land of Canaan. He went into a land away from his brother Jacob, for their possessions were too great for them to dwell together. The land of their sojournings could not support them because of their livestock. So Esau settled in the hill country of Seir. Esau is Edom. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Hopefully while we were go- while Becca was reading, you had your Bibles open. You can see there is more than eight verses in chapter 36. 36 is a very long chapter. In fact, this, uh, this week I was trying to figure out ways of weaseling out having to preach Genesis 36. To our 21st century American ear and mind. In fact, I'm so glad Becca read that so I didn't have to stumble over those names. Um, to our 21st century American mind, when we read this, um, it is quite boring. When people say, I just can't read the Bible, it's just filled with a lot of this guy, unpronounceable name, begat this unpronounceable name. They're probably thinking of Genesis chapter 36 or Leviticus or one of the genealogies that are in the Gospels. But let me tell you, those who are reading this, the original audience, the Israelites, they hear this and they're hearing neighbors that they're about to meet. And that's a kind way of putting it, neighbors. Um, These are going to be enemies that they're about to encounter. And these all come from their great, 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 great uncle um, Esau, who's also known as Edom. And as you're reading this, if you're reading along, you're reading it right now, you notice that it wants us to really know that Edom, that Esau is Edom, um, because they wanted the Israelites to know as they went in there. So we have this long list. In chapter 35, at the end of 35, we had the accounting of Jacob's life. Because as we move on from here, and we're in this series called The Patriarchs, And the patriarchs, um, it is the male founders of the Jewish people. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jacob's 12 sons are the patriarchs. And we read this, and really it's a study of Genesis right after chapter 12, all the way to the end. Genesis, you know, it starts off big and it goes small, big and small. It's a very circular book. Problems you see at the beginning are problems you see throughout it, and then they get resolved. And finally, they're finally resolved, not until we get to not until we get to the Gospels or until we get to Revelation, in fact. So you start off with, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Biggest thing ever, right? Beyond the universe. Before there was anything, there was God. And God made the world. Here's a nice little Latin phrase for you is ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. 
And God said, let there be light. And there was light. He said, let there be creatures. And there was creatures. And he says all these things and it was good. And then he finally makes our first mother and first father. He takes Adam and he makes him out of the dust of the ground. He breathes on him and he becomes a living soul. And then from Adam, he takes his rib and he makes Eve. Male and female, he created them. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. So we went from the creation of the world to the very first family. And then from the first family, they spread out and they subdue the earth. And unfortunately, the evil of mankind is multiplied by multiplication until it says that it grieved God's heart. Some of your translations will say he repented of making mankind. And in the King James, that probably made sense at that point in time for us today. We think that as it made, God thought he did something wrong, so he had to correct it. That's not at all what that word means. The word being translated from the Hebrew means it grieved God's heart to see humanity only every second of every day thinking of how can I increase the evil that I am doing? So God wipes out the earth in a flood, except for one family. Out of all the people of the earth, he chooses one family. And from this one family, Noah's family, he, they repopulate the earth, except they don't listen to the command of God. They stay in one place and that, that place of Babel, and they try to make this tower, and we know that God confuses their languages, and now they spread out once again, and the earth is filled with families upon families. And from all of the families, God chooses one family, Abraham and his wife, or Abram and his wife, Sarai. And he chooses them to be his, to be his megaphone to all of the earth, and that is the Jewish people we know today, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. That's the patriarchs. But here is the point of everything I've been talking about. See, way back in Genesis, when mankind fell, God made this prophecy that he would put enmity and that he would make an enemy for the serpent out of the seed of the woman. And the serpent would bruise his heel, but the seed of the woman would crush his head. And when Abraham was told the promise, he was told, and to your seed, singular, not plural, the point of the patriarchs, the point of all the scripture is Jesus Christ. Amen. He is truly the hope of all of the earth. Why I'm going over all of this as we go through chapter 36, here is the final accounting of Jacob and Esau. And this is what this is going to get to. This is the heart of this. And I kind of took this from um, one of Brent Owen's videos, which is that God is about your holiness, not about your happiness. God is about your holiness, not about your happiness. Since we're at the end of Jacob's part in, in, in this story, in history, in fact, even before this, he wasn't so much moving events. His sons were already starting to move events. But in this way, in chapter, the end of chapter 35 and all of 36, we see the final accounting between Jacob and Esau. And it should be very surprising for us because Esau comes out, at least from a physical standpoint, better than Jacob. That should be somewhat perplexing to us because wasn't it Jacob the one who was blessed and Esau the one who was cursed? We're going to get to a very, this is going to be a sermon that I can't preach somewhere else because they just won't get it. In fact, they'll probably think it's counter evangelism because I'm going to say, come to Jesus, it might end badly, but it will be fantastic. Yes. Chapter 36 is the final earthly accounting of these two brothers and, and, um, and on whom the scripture says is loved has much less than the one who says it is, he is hated. 36, 
brings into clearer clarity the choices of God and how certain things are spiritually discerned and other things from a physical standpoint, from a non-spiritual standpoint, are very confusing. 36, all of Jacob and Esau's life, really it's about this. God gets to decide, God gets to have a choice too in things. See, here's a problem. We don't, a lot of times we don't see God as a person. We don't see the Holy Spirit as a person. We want him to be an impersonal force that we can manipulate with our wishings and musings. So it's very, it seems almost hateful to us that God should have a choice in whom he blesses and whom he curses and whom he chooses. Even to this day, you know why so many people are so angry with Israel and they can watch the news reports and see all these dead people and be like, it's their own fault. It's because God chose them and he didn't choose others. So we have to get over it because all of us are incredibly blessed. And actually we are also chosen. Just not in the same regard. This is the problem with envy. If I gave everybody here $200, everyone would be like, yay. But if I gave one person $2,000, some of the people who get the $200 are like, hey, that's not fair. But everyone gets something. And all of us get something. You know, we talk about Esau. I'm not going to get into this right now because that's part of, that's like the, crescendo of the message. Um, 36, like I said before, 36 is boring. I've been spending most of this week trying to weasel out of ha- to having to preach 36. In fact, even after, right after service last week, I was like, you know what I should do? I should say we're, we're, we're done with patriarchs because we did Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And 36 is really just the final accounting. 37 goes into Joseph. So I can go to a, I can do a different series. And when I come back to Genesis, I can skip 36 and nobody will know. And then I'm going, I'm I'm doing my study and then the Holy Spirit is just like, nope, not at all. And then I start looking at it and I start understanding it through the whole of scripture. I'm like, okay, this is a powerful, powerful story for us. Because if you're serving God to get anything other than God, you walk the path of Esau. If you are serving God to get anything other than God, then you are walking the path of Esau. Let me explain why Moses, by the power of the Holy Spirit, goes into so much detail about Esau's wealth here in chapter 36. Here, one is that the people that he's talking about, so the children and grandchildren, great-grandchildren of Esau, are going to, they're going to be encountering them as they enter the promised land from the Exodus. So that's one reason. Here's the second reason. For those people to remember that Seir, the hill country, was given to Esau not to Israel. In Deuteronomy chapter two, and if you could put that on the screen, that would be fantastic. Deuteronomy chapter two, starting with verse four. And command the people, you are about to pass through the territory of your brothers, the people of Esau, who lived in Seir, and they will be afraid of you. So be very careful. Do not contend with them, for I will not, for I will not give you any of their land. No, not as much. No, not as much as a soul of the foot to tread on because I have given them, I've given Mount Seir to Esau. So they're told this also so that they do not try to take the land that God had given Esau, um, which is Seir. And that's a very interesting thing. God gave Seir to Esau. Now Esau, I don't know if he knew or didn't know that that was the providence of God giving that to him. He was, he was prophesied over by his father. I think even if he knew he, he didn't care. It's like so many, like, for so many people, they receive so much of the blessing of the Lord, but they don't 
recognize it as the Lord. And even if they did, they wouldn't care. Here's the third thing. In the end, both Esau and Jacob get what they wanted. In the end, Jacob and Esau get what they wanted. You saw my sermon title today, Jacob have I loved, Esau I've hated. And maybe you thought, maybe, hopefully you're thinking of the scripture and you're not thinking of the very forgettable 1989 movie with Bridget Fonda. You probably weren't thinking that. To this day, I still don't know if it's a made-for-TV movie or if it was a theatrical release because it's done that poorly. And um, I love these little jokes where I talk about something you have no idea about. It's funny because in the movie, they make kind of like the opposite point of what the scripture makes because in the movie, her younger sister is like really beautiful and she gets whatever she wants. And then Bridget Fonda's character is so bitter. And she's like, oh, every time I try to do something, it's like that Marsha, Marsha, Marsha thing. Then finally somebody confronts her, who's stopping you from being happy? You are. We we can talk about the cosmic thing of God choosing Jacob over Esau. But you know, at the end of the day, Esau is the one who chooses to be godless. At the end of the day, Esau chooses to be godless. I'm not sure if I want to bring this up now, but I'm going to anyway. Um, Esau was not chosen. Jacob was chosen to continue the line of Israel. Esau was not chosen to be godless. He decided to be godless. You know how I know this is because... In Moses' life, he has an older brother who's not chosen. That's Aaron. Aaron's chosen to lead the tribe of Levi, which he was a part of, and he was, he was the first priest. But it was Moses, the younger brother, by three years, not by a handful, but three years, is chosen to lead the people of Israel, and Aaron doesn't become bitter and leave. Esau... Esau was not chosen, but he was godless, and it was his own decision. God does know, and he does predestine those to salvation, yet at the same time, our actions absolutely matter, and there is no person you can point at and say, why have thou made me thus? If you look at the lives from an earthly standpoint, you might think Jacob is the one hated, because he had little land. He, the land he had was the land that his grandpa Abraham had bought to bury their dead. That's the land they have. Now I want you to understand, in the ancient Near East, you can have tons of cattle, you can have tons of sons, but if you don't have land, you're, not, you're no kind of man. And he has very little land, yet Esau has the entire land of Seir. His wealth eclipses Jacob. So you might think, okay, who's the guy who's loved and who's the guy who's hated? Jacob, not only does he have little land, every, it seems like every moment of his life is spent in opposition to somebody else. I mean, in fact, when the Lord renamed him Israel, he said, because you've contended with God and man and have overcome, because all of his life he's contending with somebody. He's constantly in a, in a state of having to contend, having to deal with grief and problems of suffering. His own son, his oldest son, betrays him in the last chapter. He dwells in tents and he didn't, here's something we know. He didn't want to dwell in tents because after they leave Panamaram, after he has that meeting with Esau, instead of going to Seir, he goes to Shechem and he builds a house. He tries to live like the world, but he's been called out of the world. So many believers try to live like the world and it just, it goes badly for you. It goes badly for you because God has not called you into this world. He's called you out of this world. You live in this world, but you're not of the world. Esau charges into the promised land when they, when they go to bury their father. Jacob limps. In 
Romans chapter 9 and Malachi 1 uh, verses 2 and through 3. I'm going to start with Malachi if you want to put that up here. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And in verse 13 of Romans chapter 9, Oh, wait, sorry. No, it's still going with uh, verse three here. But Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. Then in verse 13 of chapter nine of Romans, Jacob have I loved and Esau I have hated. So God is love. How does he hate Esau? You ever wonder this? I think a lot of people do and we just kind of accept and move on. I'm going to explain that to you for in, in a bit. I'm going to let you, I'm going to let that linger for you for a bit though. If God is love, how can he hate Esau? What does the, but here's a better question than that. What does the hatred of God look like? Esau doesn't seem hated. He doesn't seem cursed. So what does that mean? That's what I'm going to proclaim to you today. What, what, what does God do with most of, this is what God does most of the time with the ungodly is what he does with Esau. While Israel is a good example of every son and daughter of, of God the Father through faith in Jesus Christ and how God is our Father and what that means for us functionally. It looks different than what we've heard in the past. What we heard in the past, what people throughout the scripture keep getting wrong, is that if things are going well, God loves me. And if things are going bad, God must hate me. It's almost completely opposite from that. When looking at the life of Esau and Jacob, we're going to have to confront a very serious question. We, um, we used to sing the song, I surrender all. And I think many of us just meant I surrender some. A pastor I know said that we are hesitant to pray thy will be done because we are secretly suspicious of the father's intentions towards us. For some of us, this is what it's going to bring out for us today is that we are secretly suspicious of the Father's intentions towards us. And if I truly do let everything go, it'll just end in destruction. But there is joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. You know why God is not about your happiness? Because happiness changes from one moment to another. In the next life, we'll be supremely happy forever. In this life, we do have trouble. In this life, God disciplines every son and daughter he takes to himself but he is about our joy and joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. Everyone feels, um, you might say to me, no pastor, I have said those words from Isaiah, Lord, send me. Everyone feels that way. Everybody says, Lord, send me until God wants to send you to a place you don't want to go. See, when I said, Lord, send me, I meant to some exotic locale that has great beaches and I'm totally safe. Then you find out what, what God means? You see, that was Isaiah who said that. Here am I, Lord, send me. After God says, whom shall speak for us? Whom shall we send? He says, Lord, send me. He sent him to Israel. He didn't send him like Jonah to Nineveh. You know, Jonah, he didn't want to go, obviously. He gets swallowed by the fish. He gets spit out of the fish. He preaches death, fire, and gloom to Nineveh. They repent. He lives a nice long life and dies in peace. Isaiah, who was sent to the people of God, this is what we believe from history. He was sawn in two. So we say, here am I, Lord, send me. In fact, I know, I know so many people, and because I'm a pastor, I know a lot of pastors. I know a lot of people who want to be pastors. 
And I feel real bad for those who aren't called because the ministry will chew you up and spit you out. Every moment I wake up, I can hear the Holy Spirit asking me if I will obey him or myself. I can't tell you how many friends I've lost because I had to speak the word of the Lord and not my own. Here's something about my personality is I don't like conflict. I don't like it when people are upset with me. I was talking with another pastor and he was just really dealing with this and we prayed. I said, here's the big lie we tell ourselves as pastors. I don't care what people think of me. It's a lie. I do care. I just can't let it move me. I can only let the Lord move me. And because I love the Lord and because the Lord makes me love you so much, I will endure your hatred. I'll endure your gossip if it means telling you the truth of God. Because like Paul, I want to say when I'm done here, when I'm done in Algona, I want to be able to say what Paul says to the Ephesian elders in Acts, that I'm guilty of the blood of no man. We're hesitant to pray thy will be done because we're secretly suspicious of the Father's intentions towards us. I pray that this message today is going to be a great encouragement to, to you as it is the surgery of the Lord to clear up, to strengthen so many misconceptions we have about a relationship with the Lord, that certain things that we took as discouragement are actually supposed to be encouragement for us. As we do this, we're going to go throughout the scripture today. Verses 1 through 8, the brothers who are separated. In verses 9 through 43, Esau hated, and that's with a question mark. And we're actually going to go a little bit into chapter 37, and it's Jacob loved with a question mark. So brothers separated, verses 1 through 8, that's what Becca read today. Before we get into that, do you know what it means to be holy? That God is calling you to holiness? I mentioned that before. We get it conflated with righteousness, and which makes sense because if you are to be holy as God is holy, he is righteous and he's declared you righteous and he's training you in righteousness. And the process of sanctification is becoming more righteous, but that's not what holiness is. Holiness, this is the way I like to describe it. I ripped it off from another pastor named Paul Washer, but let's just say I made it up. And uh, who is more like God, an angel in heaven or the bacteria that lives in your toilet? I remember saying this to a youth group once and the kids were kind of smart and they ruined it for me. They're like, I think it's a trick question. It is a trick question because the bacteria in your toilet is as much like God, like an angel in heaven, because there is none like him. He is set apart. No one above, no one beside. So how can we be holy as he is holy? Is he puts his Holy Spirit inside of us. He makes us holy. And he calls us to be holy. He calls us to be separate. He calls us to be separate. Righteousness is doing the right thing. It's being right, but being holy is to be set apart. The scripture is constantly telling the people of God to separate from this world. But here in 1 John, we see an aspect of the separation that normally we're not used to, which is this. People separate from us as well. That's part of being holy. Is that people separate from us as well. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would, not, they would have continued with us. But they went out that, it, that they might be complained that they were not of us. Kind of a bit of a tongue twister, but you get it, right? If somebody leaves the faith, not just leaves the church, goes to a different church, but leaves the faith, they were never in the faith. How can you deny such a great, after you've tasted the heavenly gift, turn your back. 
They went out from us. In fact, Hebrews says, if that's possible, there's no forgiveness left. John has the, John has an aspect of this that we see with Esau because it's Esau that leaves Jacob. It's Esau that leaves the promised land. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with, uh, with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. In the last several years, so many people have been leaving the church. And there's certain perspectives on this. Certain perspectives is like, oh, we're just not doing church well, or there's all these problems in the church. Now, don't get me wrong. Christians, we do go through periods of dry times where we have to be dependent on the Lord. And some Christians go through periods of rebellion. The story of the prodigal son, we call it the prodigal son, is two lost sons. Remember this, he's always a son of the father. When he was going to come back, he was going to tell the father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your do loss slaves. And the father will hear none of it. So there is a period of time that you can be in rebellion, but you'll come back because the Lord will make it unattainable for you to stay in rebellion. But there are those who completely leave the faith that were never of the faith. And we've been seeing that more and more these last few years. People either get what they want or they're denied what they want and they don't want anything to do with the faith. I've been, I listen every now and again to the John Cooper podcast. Um, I sometimes go over to the Owen house and Noel, we have to fight over that John Cooper mug that you guys got. And she's like, it's my house. And I'm like, I'm taller. So I win. John Cooper, I was listening to, I was listening to one of his interviews and I was, I was, I was like, my jaw kind of hitting the ground because I've heard about all these washed up 90s Christian artists who have been like leaving the faith, so to speak. And he was telling me about some I didn't even hear. I'm like, really them? How, how, what? I was, I mean, God touched me through their music. How could they leave the faith? Well, the truth is they were never of the faith and God has been pruning his church. In verse one, we have here, it wants us to remember Esau is Edom. That is for the Israelites going back into the promised land. You see the Edomites? They're your cousins, so to speak. So just leave them alone. And they, they have the high ground. So don't mess with them just yet. God deals with them in time because they, they're not content in their high ground. They raid the Israelites and God then deals with them because of that. They become a client state of Israel, fulfilling the prophecy of the Lord he had given to the mother of Jacob and Esau, which is the younger, the older will serve the younger. Edom sounds a lot like the word red and Esau was called, it was his nickname because when he came out, he was a red free guy. You know, it meant a lot to the Israelites who were going back to the land, but it means very little to us. But Genesis wants us to really know because it tells us so many times, Esau is Edom. And we see here already in verses two through five, Esau has wives. Now there's, it seems like there's a discrepancy here, but there really isn't. Just because one part of the scripture doesn't mention everything another part of the scripture does, doesn't mean there's a discrepancy or that it contradicts itself. Because if you're reading that, you're like, one, two, three wives. Yet earlier in Genesis, he gets two wives from the Canaanites, two wives from Ishmael. That's four. But the reason why is one of them didn't bear children, so they don't mention that wife. The other bears children, and it's part of the accounting of the wealth that Esau has. Esau has four wives just like Israel, though he acquired them much differently. The first two were a terror to his parents, and he thought, hey, I will, I will please them by marrying two others, um, which is such a funny way. I mean, we do it though, too, don't we? 
where we're like in sin, we're doing something wrong. I know what'll fix it. Just make it a whole lot worse, right? He is marries too because he thought that that might please his parents. In this section, um, his wives, we see a man who cares very little um, for family or God's opinion um, in, the, in the acquiring of his wives. Next um, to what we do, next to what we do with Christ, the most important question we have is who we'll marry. Oh, Patrick's here today. Sorry, I, sorry, I shouldn't do those kinds of things. People are going to be like, I don't want to come to church if you're going to talk about me. Um, but Patrick just got married two weeks ago. And man, you know, I forgot to mention this. I was going to mention this in my sermon, Patrick. And if Lily's watching, if you're not watching, I guess you'll never know. But um, Patrick had come to me before he proposed to her, by the way, meant the world to me and asked me. And I was like, she's awesome. Go for it, man. I don't know if that's the words I said, but that's what I meant. The person who finds a good wife finds something very good indeed. Next to who you, next to what you do with Christ, the next important decision in your life is who you will marry. Verse six, Esau has to leave. At the end of chapter 35, um, I talked about the most awkward funeral ever because Jacob had said he would go to the hill country of, of Seir with Esau. Instead, he goes the exact opposite direction. And then when their dad dies, Esau comes back. So I can just imagine what that funeral was like. Like, so uh, how long does it take you to get to Seir? It's been 15 years. Oh, that's awkward. I was never planning on going. I didn't think this would happen. Um, they lived together for a while. That's, that's great. It is a blessed thing. That's what Proverbs tells us, that when two brothers live together in peace, the peace doesn't last, however, and it's Esau who decides to leave. He will not be part of Israel. Now, I wonder what would have happened if he would have went to the Lord. Lord, I give up all the blessings you spoke over me if I get to be part of your covenant. We'll never know because he doesn't. You know, we say these things, but we're told in Hebrews chapter 12 that Esau was godless. He doesn't want the blessings of God. Verse six, six here, Esau's leaving for a time. Uh, uh, for a time, the godless can dwell with the godly. Jesus gives a parable in Matthew chapter 13 about a man who plants a field. And the night his enemy comes in and he plants weeds, tares in with the good wheat. Jesus says, leave it alone. At the end, they'll be separated. The verse, in, the verse in 1 John that I just read to you, amongst other verses, tells us that some of that pruning happens on this side of the veil as well, that they leave us who are never part of us. Once again, I don't mean a person who's going through a dry patch. For a person who's confused or hurt or just, just gets out of the habit of meeting together, me and Becca were in that one time. Um, when we were first married, we moved to Wheaton, Illinois, and Wheaton, Illinois has about a church on every corner. So we became church shoppers. I don't know if anyone's ever been in that position. And every church we went to, we, we saw, we saw some good things, but a lot of bad things. And that was kind of our heart. You know, we were, we became connoisseurs of churches. And then we went to this play on the screw tape letters. If you haven't read the screw tape letters, it's awesome. Watching it played out for you is a whole different experience. So we're watching, we're, we're watching this and you get to the point where Uncle Screwtape is telling his, uh, his demon nephew who's messing with this guy, this Christian, make sure he doesn't plug into a church, make him a connoisseur of churches. He's just going to be constantly judging me and Becca look at each other and we're like, that's us. <laughs> we need to plug in finally. So I'm not talking about that at all. 
I'm talking about those who leave the faith. Those who leave the promised land as Esau left the promised land. And there's a lot of reasons Esau has of leaving the promised land. None of them are spiritual. In verse 7, we see a very similar situation as we saw with their uh, grandpa, uh, Abraham, and great uncle, great, great uncle, I don't know, Lot, which is this town is, is too small for the both of them. This, you know, they're getting too big for, the, yeah, this town is too small for the both of them. So Esau leaves the promised land. In the end, who is to blame Esau for missing out on God? Esau. It's true. God did not choose Esau. And God's choice matters. But so does Esau's. See, we, we have a free will of our own. We can call it a creaturely free will. We choose right from wrong. Even as believers, we continue choosing right from wrong. Blessings, um, spiritual blessings that would be in the next life. But God has a will of his own. And God chooses his family and it's beautiful. Abraham and Lot, verse seven, it's pretty familiar, right? Sounds a lot like Abraham and, Lot and his nephew Lot, but it's Esau who decides to leave and Jacob who stays. Esau would rather have the blessings of this life than the spiritual blessings in the next. And God is purifying his church. What we are seeing in American Christianity is first John. The Lord is purifying his church. We showed a movie this last Wednesday called The Essential Church. It is, it is of it is about those times in 2020 when every church is closing down. And some, some places like Canada, for instance, tried to close down the churches much longer than here. And a couple of brave pastors says, no, Christ, not Caesar, is king of the church. In fact, when they were going to, when, they were, they, when the cops came to this pastor's door to arrest him, they wanted to debate with him and, they, and they, they, quoted the verse, uh, they quoted that verse from Matthew that the Lord said, give to Caesar what is Caesar and to God what is God's. I love the pastor's response. The church is not Caesar's. Amen. The forefathers did not bleed and die for the church. Christ did. Amen. And Christ is the king of the church. And if Christ says, we meet, we meet. If it's raining fire, we meet. If there's a plague, we meet because that's what God has asked us to do. One thing he said that really, that really struck his heart was this, how many friends he lost during that time. This makes a lot of sense, right? Because a lot of fans will abandon the team at halftime if the, if the team is down. But if you're, if you're part of the team, you stay on the field until the end. So, we have the brothers who are separated. We have separate brothers. Let's talk about these brothers. In verses 9 through 43, which by the way, I'm not going to read for you today because it's already 11.11. Hopefully you, you'll give me some grace. We normally read every verse. We're not going to today. Um, and it is, uh, it, is, it is the accounting of Esau's life in a physical way. So that's the number two. Esau's hated. Why is Esau hated if he has more wealth than Jacob, if he gets to do whatever he wants? See, Esau got whatever he wanted. I, I read to you from Malachi and Romans that Esau is hated in verses 9 through 43. He doesn't seem hated or cursed, does he? He has all of the land of Seir. He has riches that eclipse Jacob's. His children and grandchildren are born before Jacob's children are born. They're already chiefs and on their way to being kings. 
When he lost his blessing of the firstborn, he wept bitterly because he could not find repentance. That's what Hebrews chapter 12, verse 17 says. He could not find repentance. But when Jacob sees him again, Esau embraces him and he doesn't care anymore because he got what he wanted. He just wanted the physical blessings. And once it became clear to him, he didn't need to be the leader of the tribe to get the physical blessings. He didn't care about the spiritual blessings. Hebrews tells us that he's godless. Charles Spurgeon said of Esau, although Esau did not receive the great blessing, the covenant blessing, that having gone to Jacob, who secured it by deception, yet Esau did not receive, um, yet Esau did receive a great blessing of a temporal kind, which Isaac pronounced upon him with all the fervor of a father who loved his son most ardently. Esau thus received what he most wanted, for he cared very little for the spiritual blessing, not being a spiritual man. And when he obtained the temporal blessing, that satisfied his heart. And he said, it is enough. Let's talk about what it means. Jacob have I loved and Esau I have hated. We hear that and we think of our human emotions, right? We think, you know, you have fond feelings for somebody, so you love them. And if you, oh, I want that person dead, I hate them. What the Lord is using here in Malachi and Romans is the same way the Lord uses in the book of Luke when he tells that if you're going to be his disciples, you have to hate your father and mother, your brother and sister, your own life, your children. Now, we read about that in Luke and we're like, okay, we understand this. He's using a, he's using a hyperbolic comparison contrast figure of speech. Those of you who are on Wednesday night, I gave you that one for free. Uh, they have to do a thing on the figures of speech that are in the scripture. So it's hyperbole. It's an exaggeration to make the point. And the point it's making, the point that's making in Luke is that in comparison to your love for God, all other relationships should seem like hate because you choose God over everything else. So to speak, you have chosen this over this. In that figure of speech, when Patrick made his vows, he was saying, I love Lily and I hate all other women, though he does not literally hate other women. He has chosen Lily over all other women. And God loving Jacob, it's God choosing Jacob and not Esau. It does not mean that God hates Esau. He had no chance. In Psalm 73, um, Psalm 73 is Asaph's complaint. So let's talk about, okay, so it says that God hated Esau. How come Esau has so, he does so well. He's godless. That's what Hebrew says. Well, how come he's doing so well? So if we go to Psalm 73, the psalmist has the same complaint as we would. A Psalm of Asaph, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. I love how that starts off because I hear this from people who are going through times of suffering all the time. I know God is good. I know things are work out and everything for a reason. Every cloud has a silver lining. Let me tell you what life is like for me right now, though. It's not so good. Verse two, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled and my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. 
for they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. It's like he's talking about Esau here. And you see, Jacob, he goes into the promised land. He's limping. His son just betrayed him by, by sleeping with his concubine, something that Absalom does to David. Yet Esau gets everything he wants. And I tell you though, this is an example of the hatred of the Lord. And I'll get to that in just a bit here. See, later on in Psalm 73, the psalmist realizes that it is not what it seems. He says in verse 18, truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakens. Oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. So if God is, so we, I already talked about that. How is this, how is this hatred? Because he lets Esau do whatever he wants and it's to his own destruction eternally. It's to his own destruction eternally. Esau does whatever he wants, and then he goes into eternity with his sin on him as a godless man. George Bernard Shaw is credited, credited with the saying, there's two great tragedies in a man's life. One is to be denied his heart's desire, and the other is to have it. I thought about this week, that this, that this whole thing this week, obviously I'm preaching on this, I'm going through this, and I'm looking at Esau, who's godless, and I'm thinking about that Spurgeon quote. And I'm reminded of this article I read in the Village Voice about um, Sylvester Stallone, Barbara Streisand, and Bruce Willis. I thought about Bruce Willis. So for those of you who are younger than me, I, I just need you to understand, Bruce Willis was the man. See, in the 80s, if you were an action star, you had to look like the Hulk. Muscles on top of muscles. Bruce Willis had a dad bod and he was an action star just through sheer personality. The dude was bald and everybody's like, I want to be like him. I mean, like at the time, like when you had like Sylvester Stallone with the curly mullet going on and Rambo, but he, that, that's the kind of guy he was in the village voice in the village voice to talk about those three individuals. The worst day of their life is when they arrived, when they got the brass ring, because they realized it's not enough, but it's all I want. It's a weird paradox, right? In C.S. Lewis's book, The Magician's Nephew, speaking through Aslan, he says, in the end, everyone gets what they want, but not everyone wants what they get. As a godless man, he couldn't imagine wanting more than just what this life has to give. That's the path of Esau. See, if you are in church today, if you're serving the Lord to get anything other than the Lord, that's the path of Esau. It's godless. And God will test you on this. Hopefully he will test you on this. Esau knows he's received the blessing of God according to the prophetic word of his father. He just doesn't care. He doesn't make altars to El Shaddai. His children and his grandchildren's name reveal a people who have completely abandoned the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. Here's a snapshot of his descendants' names. And once again, in the Old Testament, especially in the book of Genesis, names mean something. Like Deshaun, in, in verse 21, 36, 21, it means gazelle. Alvin, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. It's not spelled like Alvin the chipmunks. And if your name's Alvin, your name probably doesn't mean this. But it means in that day, it meant wicked. Somebody named their kid wicked. We have... 
Ithren, which means advantage. Aran, which means mountain goat. Good for him. Um, Baal Hanan, which is, which is embracing the false god Baal. George Bernard Shaw, like I said before, there's two great tragedies in a person's life. One is to be denied their greatest desire and the other is to have it. Esau doesn't understand it, but God has cursed him by letting him do whatever he wants. What does the hatred of God look like? Among many things, and most commonly, it's just for you to do whatever you want to do. And once again, C.S. Lewis's book, the, the magician's nephew, Aslan, saying, all get what they want. They do not always want what they get. More clearly, though, in C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce, here's, here's a line that really points us out. There are two kinds of people in the, in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Without the self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will miss it. Those who seek, find. Those who knock, it will be opened. Which kingdom do you want? Do you want the kingdoms of this world? If you want the kingdoms of this world, let me give you, let me give you some great advice. You don't need the Lord for that. The Lord Jesus, when he was being tempted in the desert in Matthew chapter four, the last temptation that Satan hits him with, not the Martin Scorsese movie, which is trash, um, is this. He, to- he takes him to a high place and he says, look at all the kingdoms of this world. All this can be yours if you would bow down and worship me. Which by the way is to laugh. The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof. We got John. He's only trying to pay him with his own coin. But here's the thing with the, with the devil. He's the God of this, of this world in that he's the God of the culture of this world. If this world still made sacrifices and burned incense, it would do so to Satan himself because he represents everything they want. So if you want riches, go out and try to get riches. Some people do, some people don't. But if you want God, if you seek him, if you knock, the door will be opened. If that's what you want. See, Jacob, even in his, even in his confused, just terrible choices, one thing never changed. He saw the blessing of God as something valuable. Something that he would give up everything to possess. It was this pearl of great price that he would sell everything he had so he could buy the field to obtain that pearl. In verse 30, in chapter 37, verse 1, we go there right now. Oh. Jacob lived in the land, his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. When we read that, we're like, okay, back to normal things, but he's in a land he doesn't possess. He has less wealth than his brothers. So, how is Jacob loved? So how is, ha- how is the hatred of God shown to Esau? He gets to do whatever he wants. Um, he, whatever he wants, because what he wants is not God. Jacob is loved. What he gets, he gets God, and that's more than enough. Whether he has much or whether he has little, God is enough. The Apostle Paul will say this so succinctly. He says, I've learned, I've learned the key to happiness. I've learned the key to contentment, I should say. Is that whether in much or little, he has God. 
What does it look like to be loved by God, to be a child of God, to be a son and daughter of God? Often it means troubles. This isn't, this isn't one of those feel-good messages. In fact, many people, maybe you're hearing this and you're like, why would I want to be a Christian if it means troubles? First of all, you can't get out of trouble in this world. It doesn't matter what you do. That's life. Here's the difference for a Christian. God is using the troubles in your life to make you more like his son, Jesus Christ, to make you holy. Because his passion in your life is not to make you happy, but holy. And he will use everything towards this goal, both good and bad. He lets him live however he wants to. He lets Esau live however he wants to, but Jacob, he treats like a son who's in need of training. He doesn't let Jacob do whatever he wants. In fact, he doesn't even let him stay Jacob. He needs to become Israel. He treats him like how your coach treated you when you were in a sport you were in. Pushes you out of your comfort zone. See, if you have a coach who's just like, you're like, I don't really want to run today. They're not a great coach. And Jessica's a coach right now. And I hope you're making those kids run hard. Because <laughs> if you want to get faster, if you want to build endurance, you got to get out of the comfort zone. Your coach allowed you to fail and told you, told you why you failed, even if it hurt your feelings. For Jacob specifically, God allows the people in his life to give him what he gave others, to deceive him, to trick him, to play him for a fool. He moves him from place to place. His wife dies. He takes a home in Shechem, but he doesn't get to stay in Shechem. His sons betray and trick him. And for Jacob, by the way, when we go back to Jacob, we go back to Shechem, that place he was living in before he wised up and returned to Bethel. Shechem could have been his seer. He could have been comfortable in Shechem. He, he could have taken over Shechem and had a conglomeration of all these different lands and never returned to the promised land. And that would have been the end. If that's what he wanted, he could have had it, but it's not what he wanted. He thought maybe it's what he wanted until God forced the issue by just allowing his son's evil to run rampant. God loves Jacob so much, he will not leave him the way he is. He will not let him do what he wants. In Galatians chapter five, we have the fruit of the spirit and the acts of the sinful nature. We are told they are in conflict with one another so we do not do what we want. Galatians chapter five, verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing, doing the things that you want to do. Who does what they want? those whom God hates. But God's discipline are for his sons and daughters. God never disciplines Esau. He does discipline Jacob. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse, verses four through six, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. That's nice. I mean, that's, that's really nice. It's really powerful. Because sometimes we act like that, right? Like it's so hard to live for the Lord. And, and the writer of Hebrews is like, okay, are you dead? <laughs> You're fine. <laughs> and sometimes we act like that because the temptations are bad, but God provides a way out underneath. Why don't we take the way out underneath? Okay. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Verse five. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord 
nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens every son whom he receives. This isn't always pleasant. You know, I, there is different levels to the discipline of the Lord. The lightest level is correction. Take correction when it comes. Because after that comes more stringent ways God wants to get your attention. C.S. Lewis said in The Problem of Pain is that God whispers to us in our happiness. He speaks to us soon his word, but his megaphone is suffering. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And, you, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the, Lord's for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens every son he receives. A pastor I had all this respect for fell morally a while back. I, I found out through somebody else. And I, was, I went back and I listened to his, his sermon. Now, this was, this was important. Nobody had any clue what he was doing. He was the one who came forward. And in his address to his congregation, he says, I thank God because I've been proven as a true son of the father because God is chastening me and I'm stepping down today. That's a hard attitude to have when we're going through the chastening of the Lord, when we're going through the discipline of the Lord. Jacob didn't feel that way when God allowed the people in his life to deceive him, but it was for his good and God's glory. Worship team, would you come up at this time? My thesis for today is God is about your holiness, not about your happiness. Here's the question as we reflect on today's scripture. If you're here today, I believe that God has brought you if you are a Christian today, it's because the Lord loves you. He loved you first and you love him. And I pray that you have the assurance of salvation if it is yours. And today you are in Christ. Ask this question. Do you worship God to get blessings or do you use the blessings in your life to worship God? Do you worship God to get blessings or do you use the blessings of your life to worship God? If the goal is anything other than him, you're not worthy of him. And we get very caught up in this, like, okay, has God chosen me? Has he un not chosen me? We're not to worry about that. This is what we worry about. He says, repent. Today is the day of salvation. Nobody gets to say to God, nobody gets to say to God, why has thou made me thus? We hear the call of salvation. We respond. And today, if you are in Christ, you can go through periods where you're confused and perhaps you were using, maybe perhaps in your relationship with God, you saw about acquiring blessings. Change your frame of mind to use the blessings of the Lord in your life to worship God. Everything in your life that is good comes from him. And as we saw with Esau, who's not part of the covenant, who is godless, God still blessed him. But he was only about the Lord as long as the Lord would bless him with things. He had no concern for God. Don't take the path of Esau. If you got your heart's desire, here's the question. If you got your heart's desire, would that be the last we saw of you at church? Or if you don't get what your heart's desire, would that be the last we see of you? In God's chastening of his church and the pruning of his church, I continue seeing this once again in the circles I walk in with other pastors. 
I don't know anybody in ministry who didn't have a bad experience at one point in time. It's something we don't talk about, but it's true. And I see a lot of people, they have their bad experience. They don't get what they wanted. And that if pastors, and they've left the faith, they were never in the faith, even just because they had REV by their name. Because they didn't get what they wanted from God. And I see other people who suffer tremendously and even through tears can say, blessed be the name of the Lord. I see the power of the Holy Spirit in that. And I think we're at odds with that when we get that confused in our life. And we're at odds with this. The Lord, Lord allows us to feel the, the, the conflict so that we will live by the Spirit instead of living by the flesh. Worship team, would you lead us in our final song? During this final song, this is our opportunity to reflect on God's word today. Maybe it's a time for us to reassert our commitment to God that I live for you. I live for you and I follow you for your own sake because you've brought me to life. <laughs>